93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. This city is my city, and I love it, yeah, I love it. Get ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And welcome to the CEO Roundtable Show. So glad that you've joined us this weekend. Uh, very pleased, very honored to have the 24th president of the University of Missouri System in the studio uh, with us. Also the chancellor of the MU campus, uh, Dr. Moon Choi. Well, great to see you, Fred. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to have you. One of the things that I, I really appreciate you, about you, Dr. Choi, is that uh, uh, you don't put limits on uh, these conversations. Uh, you have been very forthcoming and very candid, and, and you say, Fred, you can ask me anything you want to. And, and we had a luncheon last summer that where you allowed me to interview you in front of about 80 people, and uh, we had some very candid conversations, and I appreciate the fact that you don't bring your PR people, that you don't... Uh, uh, that you just you show up and, and you're ready to talk and and you really no holds barred you're 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 ready to to, to talk and I appreciate that that candor. Well, thank you, yeah, thank it's you. Very refreshing. Um, so you have been uh, you just uh, last uh, November completed your fifth year uh, as uh, president of, of the MU system. Uh, for our listeners that maybe have not had a chance to listen to you in the past. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and, and sort of how you ended up at the University of Missouri. Well, thanks. Uh, I was born in South Korea, and my family immigrated when I was nine years old, uh, along with my three younger sisters, to Akron, Ohio in 1973. Hmm. So July 5th, we landed in Chicago, and from there we made our way to uh, Akron, Ohio. And we lived there for about two years, and then made our way to Chicago, back to Chicago. Hmm. So I consider where my mother lives to be my hometown, and yeah. so that's still Chicago. Oh. And uh, went through my uh, high sc- uh, grammar school, high school, as well as my university education in Illinois, and then moved on to graduate studies. Yeah. And uh, my first professional job was as a assistant professor at University of Illinois at Chicago, hmm. and then Drexel University in Philadelphia, and then University of Connecticut, and then... Crossing the Mississippi River here at the University of Missouri. <laughs> Welcome to the Wild West. Yeah, <laughs> snapshot of the last fifty yeah. years. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> so you know, uh, five years is about the average tenure of a university president, and oh. and uh, we've had this conversation before. But um, <clears throat> you seem to very committed to. Uh, you, you've got some things you still want to accomplish at the University of Missouri. You've had some good progress. We'll we'll talk about some of those things. Uh, uh, how are you feeling about the job today? Five years into it. Uh, I feel good. I feel energized about the uh, about the prospects for further growth, and I feel good about the progress that we made mm-hmm. over the past. In March, it'll be six years, so I'll be starting my seventh year. Oh and, wow! Okay, yeah. and uh, and so I'm very excited about mm-hmm. the future. Uh, yeah. The investments that the uh, state is making with Governor Parsons' proposed seven percent increase, mm-hmm. as well as about another $130 million in capital projects for the UM system, it's really promising. Yep. And when I started in 2017, there was no talk of investing, state investing in the University of Missouri. So we are in a much better place, Mm -hmm. and that's because we've delivered. 
right. our faculty, staff, and supporters all contributed to higher graduation rates at the university, the mm-hmm. highest research expenditures at the university, and more engagement, meaningful engagement with the citizens of Missouri. Yeah. So. We always had, you know, the listeners of this radio station are tend to be somewhat conservative, and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's, it's interesting because I, I think that over the years, people that have been around for a while have seen a lot of shenanigans uh, take place at the university, and, and it, it always seems like, w- whether it has to do with wearing an American flag on your, propel, on, on your lapel or um, wearing a, a crucifix or a cross on, on your uh, nurse's uniform, uh, the legislature over the years has been a very tortured relationship with the, especially rural legislators that really don't, that did not understand the impact of the university statewide. Uh, so, but you've been down there a lot. Tell me kind of what, what's, what's the secret to sort of improving those relationships? The secret really is down to the basics, mm-hmm. having conversations, <clears throat> approaching each interaction, regardless who the individual is with respect. Yeah and to have candid conversations, mm-hmm. to admit when we believe that we made a mistake or or to explain our position so that we can have more clarity about what happened. Yeah. And uh, we've been doing that uh, for, I mean, the university has been doing that for many, many years because we have that extension land-grant mission. Mm-hmm. But since I joined, we made it a priority to make sure that we treat each individual with respect. Mm-hmm. and. I believe that that approach has uh, has uh, turned some perceptions around. Our work is not done, but whenever we get a call from a legislator or uh, a member of state government mm-hmm. in the executive branch, we take their input very seriously. Mm-hmm. And to also share our perspective, the academic research perspective. But there have been times where we said, we said after the conversation, you know what? We made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And in those cases, we're going to go and change our practice or our approach. Yeah. Because what you shared with us is something that we needed to address. Yeah. And so yeah. it's an open, open conversation, open dialogue that we have with legislators. Mm-hmm. And they appreciate it. And we appreciate yeah. it. Harry Truman used to have a, a, a sign on his uh, desk that says, The buck stops here. And I... I sort of I see that in in your management style. I mean, you know, things can cascade, you know, can get out of control and escalate uh, in ways. Um, and we certainly saw that in 2015 before your arrival, uh, the, how quickly things can get out of control. Um, you seem to have a management style, which is um, maybe somewhat atypical for academia, but but really, um, there have been times in recent years where you have just seen simply had to put your foot down and say, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, but this is the way it's going to be. So uh, you probably have a lot of battle scars as a result of that. So uh, where did you pick up those skills and and what what sort of what has defined sort of your management style? Uh, I think my management style has uh, evolved over the years and will continue to evolve with lessons that I learned and uh, and trying to avoid situations that give me even more battle scars. But mm-hmm. you're right. I've had a, I've had my share of battle scars. And the important thing that I learned through each of these uh, events, let's say, that gave me a battle scar, is uh, to explore even more the different perspectives that can that I can 
obtain from others with experience Mm -hmm. so that I make the best decision. Obviously, uh, listening to the colleagues that I work with and their input, their Mm -hmm. experience is very very helpful. you know, discussing it with the board to understand the board's position and perspective so that I can make what is the best informed decision. Yeah. But I also recognize that I'm going to be making decisions at times that are going to get certain uh, people upset. Yeah. And there's not a decision that I made that mm-hmm. had 100% universal <laughs> acceptance yeah. and I don't expect it. Yeah. You but don't spend a lot of time looking at your approval ratings. Well, I... I, I do like to be popular, that's for sure, but but I got to make sure that I can stand on the principles upon which I've made my decision. Mm-hmm. And if I made a decision that I believe is in the best interest of the institution and the people that we serve, then I can say, you know what, I may get criticized, but I know why I made it, yeah. and I will make that decision again. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about some of your initiatives uh, uh, as we as we get through the interview here, but I want to talk about some of the things that have been in the news yes. in the last few weeks and uh, just get some updates from you. But interesting headline a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week, that Mizzou Athletics is in the black for the first time in several years. Tell me uh, <laughs> what's going on there. Well, our athletics department is uh, has been doing a great job with uh, Desiree's leadership, with our outstanding coaches and student athletes. We're, we're showing, we're showing our community as well as colleagues around the country that we're serious about athletics. Mm-hmm. And uh, for anyone that has visited or attended one of our basketball games or football games can attest to the fan experience becoming much better. Yeah. Uh, for our football program last year, we had the highest rate of increase among all SEC teams, almost a 21% increase in attendance. Wow. And hmm. that's not by chance. Yeah. That's by ensuring that the fan experience is has improved. Yeah. And we will continue to do that. And if you've been to a basketball game, yeah. you see sellout crowds. Yeah, we didn't see that last year. Uh, yeah. We didn't see much of that last yeah. year. To yeah. see sellout crowds and our players under Coach Gates, mm-hmm. they're aggressive. They're they're playing to win. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's great to see that. Great to see that effort and great to see that change of culture that uh, Desiree, uh, our AD, Desiree Ree Francois, uh, brought to the program. Mm-hmm. Very, we're very excited about that. Uh, two more schools coming into the SEC. Uh, what kind of impact do you think? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, both of them seem to be fairly uh, significant revenue producers, so uh, that will probably only improve our financial situation. Is that right? They are, and uh, we want to make sure that we improve our financial position, which re- will require investments. Mm-hmm. Investments in our facilities, in, in our player development programs, uh, investments to leverage more NI so that we can use that to uh, retain our very best uh, student athletes mm-hmm. and also to ensure that we have we have competitive teams we want to be in a position where there's a championship culture and that every time that we step onto a court or a field that our players believe that they can win that game and mm-hmm. that's where we want to be yeah and we want to bring the pride back at Mizzou. there there seemed to be a prevailing wisdom that uh, NIL or name image likeness was was really going to change college athletics in in a very negative way and and sort of it's certainly going to change it uh, period but but what's your early read on the change I mean what what um, uh, how would you say it has impacted what we're doing at the University of Missouri I think it's uh, made the uh, made the the ability to get the student athletes much more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
combined with the uh, transfer portal, those two things, which are now the fact of life yeah. in NCAA, especially Division One athletics, mm-hmm. and it's something that we have to manage effectively. Mm-hmm. And uh, and NIL, it was very important for us to be able to retain uh, retain Luther Burden. Yeah, you know, yeah. such a great uh, great wide receiver, mm-hmm. and more players like that. Yeah. And so we got to make sure that we're competitive in that space. Yeah. And so working with our collectives and working with some very very um innovative approaches so that we can have nil dollars that that are going to be used effectively mm-hmm. for our players yeah and that's key yeah uh, also in the news uh there is a uh plan to uh, remove some buildings and some buildings have already been taken down on campus removing them from service uh, mizzou north is uh sort of probably the biggest project on that list of buildings but tell us give us an update on on how that is going my wife and i drove around campus the other night and and noticed that a lot of buildings or several buildings were, were already gone what are the plans for mizzou north and and how is i know that we've decided to delay crowder hall for a little while that's right uh how is that process going, and, and what, what's the timeline on Mizzou North? Uh, so far, so good. Okay. And, and uh, we recognize that there are some buildings that uh, that our community members and, and alums that graduated from university had very fond memories of. And yeah. so, you know, it did break our hearts to uh, eliminate some of those buildings. Mm-hmm. But the cost of maintaining and cost of operating those buildings were... Uh, were expenses that we could no longer afford. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is, the same issue is at the heart of the matter with uh, Mizzou North. Mm-hmm. And so with the demolition of that building will begin sometime uh, in 2023. Mm-hmm. And we plan to complete that by very early 2024. Mm-hmm. And the building is really not suitable for occupancy. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had a number of, of uh, organizations that approached us about the possible use of the building. Mm-hmm. The reason that we moved out of the building is that it is not suitable for continued long-term occupancy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there is, uh, we are exploring all options, mm-hmm. whether to uh, keep the land or perhaps use that for other purposes, but no decisions have been made about future use. Yeah. And so for our listeners that don't know, Mizzou North is the old Ellis Fischel Hospital. And uh, I know I've, I, it's gated off. It looks like they're doing some remediation. I, I, I would assume there's some asbestos in that building. Yes, there's yeah. some abatement activities going yeah. on. Yeah, so um, I want to kind of talk about um, Next Gen, which is really, I think, when, when we started talking about Next Gen, I think it became very clear very quickly that that was going to be a, a, a game changer, not only for the university, but also for the Columbia community and, and the state as a whole. Uh, can you just, for our listeners that don't know, tell them what the next gen building is. I know that it's named after uh, Senator Roy Blunt, but, mm-hmm. but help us understand, uh, what the purpose of that building is. And, and if you don't mind throwing in the square footage and, and the price tag, that, that'd be interesting too. So the uh, the building is about uh, 200,000 square feet. Uh, the cost of the building with the instruments all combined is about $220 million. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of the building, the central purpose, is to invest in precision health research that leads to more ad- uh, advanced clinical care for patients in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And it is truly a magnet to not only recruit outstanding faculty members from other universities that are 
national leaders in these areas, but also coalesce them with our current faculty members that do outstanding research. When we come back from this break, and we'll continue our conversation with Moon Toy, we'll talk more about what's actually happening in this next-gen building. You're listening to the CEO Roundtable on 93.9 The Eagle. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this weekend. Glad that you have tuned in. We have the honor of visiting with uh, President Moon Choi from the uh, University of Missouri System, Chancellor Moon Choi also. Uh, we'll talk about that transition also. Uh, but we're talking about next gen because um, um, it's pretty fascinating. You know, the numbers that you shared, I mean, that's a. Uh, that's, I think, the biggest construction project in the history of the university. Um, and uh, it looks like uh, this is going to be uh, one of those world-class facilities where you're attracting world-class researchers. And, and with world-class researchers uh, comes uh, funding, correct, from mm-hmm. the NIH and, and other sources. Uh, so tell us just about the early results of, of uh, the NextGen Center opening. Early results are terrific. Since the opening, we can attribute $97 million in new awards for our faculty members that work in these areas of developing new treatments for type 2 diabetes, uh, developing a better understanding of imaging of neurological diseases, and new ways that we can use immunotherapy to treat uh, advanced forms of cancer. And for each of these types of projects, we have faculty members that we recruited from other universities that bring with them their postdoctoral fellows, their graduate students, and other staff members. Mm -hmm. So while the building may have about 45 to 50 principal investigators, the building is teeming. The Mm -hmm. building is teeming with researchers that are working on uh, diverse areas, mm-hmm. but since they're working in the same space, it creates that collision space where mm-hmm. faculty members working on cardiovascular diseases will learn more about the interventional stroke treatment that people are doing and then matching that together to s- pursue new areas of research. So yeah. it's uh, it's been very exciting. So the $97 million that you, you referenced, that's money that is new money mm-hmm. uh, that has come in with these researchers and, and those are dollars that are probably turning over in our community five or six times because they're hiring uh, research assistants, they're paying university students, uh, they're they're uh, paying for services uh, that uh, for things that just weren't being done here a couple of years ago. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So and it's new money. It's new money, and also uh, <laughs> there was a study that was done a few years ago that showed the economic impact of NIH dollars that are spent. And just in the region, just in the region itself, there's a two to one. So that $97 million has a multiplier effect when it comes to uh, the benefits that flow down to the rest of the community because the researchers are here spending that money on their research. Mm-hmm. Th- that ties in well to another question about uh, you have expressed in the past that you, you really weren't quite satisfied with the university's uh, efforts to keep up with other AAU institutions, and and you felt like we were not performing as well as we should be uh, against that class. Give us an update. I, I would imagine that next gen probably is, was a good way to help catch up with some of those things. Give us a quick update on on how we were stacking up against AAU schools. So I always believe that we can do more. We can do better. Right. And uh, and 
in terms of the investments that are made at other AAU universities, and I want to compare that to what University of Missouri here did at Columbia. Uh, the Roy Blunt building is the first new research building since the Bond Life Sciences building mm. back in 2004. So really a 17-year span where we didn't make key investments in a new research building. But with this building, the University of Missouri made not only a strong commitment, but also shared our, our impact. I just mentioned to you the $97 million in new awards, mm -hmm. but we're continuing that uh, investment through Mizzou Forward, which I announced in March of 2022, last year, mm -hmm. that said that we're going to continue to make investments not only in next-gen precision health, but new frontiers in engineering and the sciences that help with AAU metrics, but more importantly, research that has impact. Impact beyond just the papers and the citations, but impact in solving society's most critical problems, mm -hmm. whether it's through uh, better ways of analyzing image data for the National Geospatial Institute or developing more uh, uh, efficient ways to reduce heat from hypersonic missiles that our military requires now because of the competition that's coming from foreign governments, mm -hmm. we're making an impact. Wow. So we talked early on about um, a corporate partnership that you developed with Siemens. Um, have there been, a, and Siemens, I, they're based in Germany, is that correct? Siemens Health Veneers headquarters, World Headquarters is in Germany. Okay. But the right. largest uh, organization within Siemens Health Veneers is North America. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right, very good. So tell us a little bit about the, the dollars that are tied to that relationship, and has there been any other... Uh, sort of a relationship like that developed in the last couple of years now that NextGen has opened? I think it uh, <clears throat> it is the, the largest partnership that we have with industry mm -hmm. and combined the partnership is about a hundred million dollar 10-year project. Wow. And uh, the last partnership that is of that size is the partnership with uh, Cerner, which mm -hmm. is now Oracle Health, right. that, was be that began uh, in the late 2000s. Mm -hmm. And uh, in addition to the SEMA's Health and Years, we have a strong partnership with Thermo Fisher. Thermo Fisher is a, a major manufacturer of analytical instrumentation, and together with their investment, co-invested with ours, in the next-gen building, we have probably one of the best electron microscopy facility to delve into angstrom levels. Angstrom levels, mm. which means at the molecular level, yeah. Uh, to understand biological materials, but also hard materials like metals and semiconductors as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. And so that's a partnership we're also very proud of. Yeah. You know, when you, they used to call it on campus, uh, they, uh, they used to call it programs of eminence. Um, mm -hmm. and of course the journalism school was in there, but that's right. What are the new programs of eminence at, at the University of Missouri? Oh, there are so many great programs. Mm -hmm. Animal science comes to mind. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful program. We also have strong programs in accounting for which we're recognized very highly. Mm. In engineering, the electrical and computer engineering program is very prominent, especially with respect to uh, cybersecurity and artificial intelligence. Mm. Uh, neurosciences, which cuts across so many departments, but it has a, a very strong participation from psychology as well as our neurology department. 
are very, very strong. Yeah. And uh, that's why, because of the strength of these units, which really signifies the strength of our faculty, that we are an AAU member. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going back to the AAU uh, status, uh, how are we doing in terms of fundraising? How do we compare it to other schools? I mean, give me a... Uh, do you mind sharing a sure. benchmark school that you look at and you say, well, the University of Missouri needs to perform more like the University of? Uh, I use uh, University of Illinois as okay. a as a as another university that does really well in research and student success engagement because they're also a land grant university, mm-hmm. and it's a university that I'm very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And University of Illinois, I would say, has fundraising. Uh, that is about double where we are, judging from the size of their endowment. From alumni. From alumni, yeah. corporations, okay. and, and so forth. Hmm. And, uh, and they probably, most likely, started the fundraising approach earlier than University of Missouri. Mm-hmm. The earliest one that started as a public university is, is University of Michigan. Hmm. And they have an endowment probably about 10 times higher than University of Missouri. Mm-hmm. But uh, with the last, the success of the last campaign that raised $1.4 billion, we've demonstrated that we have alums, we have corporations that are interested in investing. Mm-hmm. So now we are beginning the, the, uh, the initial process of designing the next capital camp, next comprehensive campaign. And that campaign will most likely will be larger than 1.4. We haven't selected that yet. We're going to discuss that yeah. within the within the university, but it'll be exciting. And you're saying 1.4 billion with a B. That's right. Oh, wow. 1.4 billion yeah. is what we what the university raised. Yeah, a lot of strong support. Do you think it's uh, uh I've always uh, alleged that the University of Missouri has had a tough time telling its own story. Uh, is that part of the problem? Uh, do you think that people don't really understand alumni and uh, uh, politicians and, and other folks, they really don't understand what's happening at the University of Missouri? We can tell our story much better mm-hmm. than we have. And and being coming from University of Connecticut, when I learned about the nuclear research reactor, the the impact that we have through the rest of the state, through our extension program, and so many other highlights, I was really surprised that more people didn't know. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so many positive stories. Uh, which ones do we tell first? Well, I think we have to talk about our impact through the nuclear research reactor and the lives that we save. Mm-hmm. We also have to talk about our work in agriculture, the most important industry, industry in the state, and the work that we do through Kafner as well as vet medicine and extension to support that important work. Yeah. And so that's gonna be a continuing focus. How do we tell our story better? How do we ensure that Missourians recognize that we provide value through the investments that they make in us each year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, uh, it's, it's a great story. I um, uh, wanna talk a little bit about uh, sort of what you do to I, I want to go back to next gen just for a second because so we've recruited a number of scientists and researchers to come to the University of Missouri what is our capacity I mean where are we in terms of uh, the percentage of our capacity how, how much room do we have for more researchers uh, so we, we are fit we are going to be completing out the fit out for the fourth floor mm-hmm. and that can probably accommodate another 15 
principal investigators and their staff. Uh, there's some there's some space left over that shelled in the innovation tower of that same building that has capacity. Mm-hmm. We also are exploring additional investments with uh, with support from the VA that will allow us to bring more VA, joint VA, Mizzou researchers to work on important projects like PTSD and mm. so forth. Yeah. But uh, we have to look at the next next phase. And next phase is uh, additional renovations that we can make to buildings to modernize them so that they are state-of-the-art, as well as new buildings. Yeah. We don't want to wait 17 years before the next uh, research building is built. Do you think part of our problem at the University of Missouri is that we we haven't had leaders stay in place long enough to see these long-term ambitious projects or initiatives carried out? You know, it's really, when someone becomes the president of the University of Missouri, they don't tend to stay very long. They don't survive very long. Tell us, I mean, is that part of the problem that we just, we've had so much turnover in leadership over the years? Um. You know, when I look back at the uh, the tenures of some of the presidents and chancellors, mm-hmm. they've done a lot of great things. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gary Forsey put in place the the Tiger Institute collaboration mm-hmm. with Cerner. Right. He modernized the approach to have more uh, uh, state-of-the-art business practices in running the business of the University of Missouri system. So a lot of good good progress in that in mm-hmm. that way. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't able to stay as long because of some personal reasons. Right. But I think it's a combination of of, of duration. Mm-hmm. The longer that a an effective president or chancellor stays, an effective president or chancellor, the more progress they're going to make. Mm-hmm. But you know, we've also seen that when uh, chancellors and presidents are successful, that they get uh, recruited by yeah. other places. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's important for a leader to continue to be effective. But when that leader is no longer effective, then that leader must look at themselves and say, and be honest and yeah. say, you know, it's time for me yeah. to move on. Yeah. And, uh, and for me, um, I look forward to uh, several more years here at the university and continuing the progress that we made. Uh, got about a minute here. Uh, how would you, uh, how satisfied are you with the decision you made a couple of years ago to not only be the president of the MU system, but also to be of the UM system, but also to be the chancellor of the MU campus? Uh, how, give us a quick update on that. Uh, so, you know, it's been now, wow, this uh, March will be three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be three years. It was an interesting three years, especially at the beginning <laughs> because of the COVID pandemic oh, and yeah. so forth. Yeah. But I personally enjoy the, the, the interactions that I have with the campus, mm-hmm. interactions with the faculty, staff, students, alums, mm-hmm. and other supporters of the university. Um, I can share that we've made, uh, we have, we've had significant savings because of reducing of the duplications that existed yeah. between the system and the campus. But we're also much more nimble in our decision making, and uh, and and that has made us uh, uh, weather the storm. Whether it's been the COVID pandemic or other challenges that universities typically face, and uh, making the right 
making the best decision. Hopefully, they're the right decisions. Best decisions with the information that we have moving forward. So we're much more nimble as yeah. a result. That's the president of the University of Missouri, Moon Choi. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation and talk about the university's relationship with the local community. All of that and more is coming up on the CEO Roundtable. You are listening to 93.9 The Eagle. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable show. Fred Perry, your host. I'm glad that you have tuned in. Visiting today with uh, Dr. Moon Choi, who is the 24th president of the University of Missouri System, uh, getting ready to begin his seventh year on the job. I had my numbers wrong, so uh, time flies when you're having fun, right? Yes. Um, the One of the things that I'd like to, to talk to you a little bit about is sort of this um, town and gown relationship is what it's been referred to over the years. And, and you know, uh, as the university goes, so goes Columbia in many respects. Uh, we still... Uh, after, you know, 160 some years, we, we have this very strong reliance on the success of the university for our local economy and so forth. Um, one of the things that I know that has been on your radar that you've been paying attention to is sort of this, this concept of, 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 tr- uh, Technology transfer, when something uh, is created in a university lab or a research uh, studio, uh, and then it's ready to go out to the marketplace, uh, that traditionally at the University of Missouri has been a very difficult uh, process that has been fraught with errors over the years and, and things have, have not gone as well as they should. Um, tell us a little bit about how that process has changed under your leadership Uh how are we doing today uh, versus um, we, we don't have to compare it to the past, but just tell us how we're doing today. We're doing we're doing, I would say, a much better job of the following, which is educating uh, and providing resources for our faculty and staff to be able to take the innovations that they develop and. And use the proper channels to transfer that technology. And that technology can be transferred either through developing an IP or uh, having a trade secret. Not just a patent, but a trade secret. So there are several different ways that we can work with the community, community here, but also mm-hmm. the more uh, the investment community to take our technologies beyond the university. And uh, and that's been very helpful because in, in the past, I'm talking about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. it was more of a hit or miss. A faculty member may be doing outstanding work, but they never realized that they had this path. Mm-hmm. But once you publish your results, then that path is taken away. Mm-hmm. So how do we work with faculty members? Well, that comes from education as well as providing resources. And uh, for me, um, working with the community, taking our technology really is more than IP trade secrets. It's developing collaborations with the industry so that we can have uh, benefits to the community, but also to the university. Mm-hmm. And the perfect example is the partnership with AAA Novartis, where we created the technology to produce lutetium-177, which is used as the critical ingredient in uh, medicines called the medicine called Lutathera to treat pancreatic cancer mm-hmm. that's manufactured 
by AAA Novartis. And pancreatic cancer has always been a death sentence for the most part, a diagnosis of that. Yes. Uh, but this particular pharmaceutical, radio pharmaceutical, is um, making a, a big difference. It is making a huge difference. Yeah. And there is the opportunity to use that same lutetium-177 for other types of cancer, including prostate cancer and breast cancer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Prior to Lutathera, patients that received that the news that they had pancreatic cancer would get eight months. Yeah. Eight months to live. Yeah. They'll say you have eight months to live and get your affairs in order. Mm-hmm. With Lutathera and, uh, and that type of radiopharmaceutical treatment, they can extend that life by to about five years, mm-hmm. during which they can get additional treatments to get uh, uh, a, uh, a, a, a new technology to help develop the yeah. treatment for what they suffer from. Yeah. Is this still in clinical trial, or is it actually no. it's FDA approved and it's, it's, it's being used? It's FDA approved. Yeah. And, you know, when I, when I go around the country and meet people, and sometimes they'll say, you know, I have this friend that's suffering from, from, uh, from pancreatic cancer or liver cancer mm-hmm. or thyroid cancer. And I said, do you know what type of treatment they're receiving? And they'll say, yeah, targeted radio radiotherapy. And I said, you know, that's created. That is created at the University of Missouri. Mm-hmm. And they're blown away. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it, it really does make the hair behind my back stand yeah. up because it, it, it's, it's, it makes me realize the importance yeah. of the work that we do at the university. The impact, absolutely. Yeah. Do you do you know, uh, off the top of your head, uh, what type of financial impact some of these royalties and patents uh, have? Uh, you know, when you when you look at the mm-hmm. type of money that comes back to the university as yes. a result of that discovery, what, what does it look like? Well, it depends on the scale, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but uh, you know, there's there's a possibility with, with the blockbuster drug that we help to. Uh, make possible because of the radio pharmaceuticals, we could be talking about 10, 20, $30 million per year. Per year. That can be used yeah. to advance our nuclear research reactor operation, but also research and support other parts of the university. Yeah. And that money comes back to this community because those researchers are living here in Columbia. That's and, right. Uh, and you you do share the spoils with, with the researchers, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, it's one of those things of that, course. Yeah, that they also yeah. benefit, and so it's not just the university. There has to be that incentive. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. But the funds are spent here in Columbia. Yeah. Is there still room for improvement in that area? I mean, would, on a scale of 1 to 10, how well are we doing? I think we can have, uh, I think from a scale of 1 to 10, especially in partnerships like that, mm-hmm. we're probably at about a 7, okay. which means there's much more room for growth. Yeah. And that's why uh, the the concept of the next generation nuclear research reactor is very important for us mm-hmm. because as successful as MER has been, we have to realize that it is 55 years old. Yeah. And it is limited to 10 megawatts. It sounds like you know what the replacement uh, cost of that is. Well, uh, just looking at the, uh, the, the facilities that have been built at other countries mm-hmm. at the wattage that, at the power level that we're looking at, it's anywhere from about 800 million to a billion dollars. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, so it is a big investment. Yeah. But uh, we did receive $20 million from the federal government through the support of Representative Luke DeMeyer to begin the planning study for the next generation nuclear research reactor. Wow. That's good. And are we still the only university uh, campus uh, to have a nuclear research reactor? Uh, not the only, but we have the largest okay. nuclear research reactor, and no one else can compete. 
And the second largest that is at MIT, and it'll take them decades to yeah. be able to compete. The uh, Lutherium, is there a half-life? I mean, is that, uh, does that have to be used within a certain yes. amount of time? It's got a short half-life. Okay. And, and uh, if we did not produce uh, Lutetium-177 here in Colombia, mm-hmm. we would have to rely on Lutetium that is produced in Belgium or South Africa. Wow. For it to come from South Africa, it'll take yeah. 20 hours to get here. Yeah. By that time, the effectiveness goes down. Yeah. But because we are in the middle of the country, mm-hmm. there's no place in the United States that we can't deliver Lutetium-177 beyond five hours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to talk about uh, university students. Um, and it's uh, it's that's probably the downside of living in a university town. You know, we we love the the, the great things about the university, but then there's the students. But yeah. oh, but you I know, love the students. <laughs> of course you do. Yeah. Uh, but you know that there's a demographic uh, shift coming uh, yes. in 2007, 2008. There was a, a change in the birth rate, which is going to impact your enrollment starting in about 2025 it's going to reduce your enrollment, most likely. Well, what is the university doing right now to sort of prepare for that? Well, we are preparing uh, for the future with an eye towards capturing more market share. Hmm. We have high school students graduating. Now, it's going to go down by about 10% mm-hmm. if we compared numbers in 2031 compared to 2021. Mm-hmm. So over the next 10 years, about that decline is going to be about 3%. If I said 10%, that was wrong. 3% in Missouri. And so there are still going to be students that are graduating. But how do we communicate to the students and their parents that we provide a high-quality, affordable education with the amenities, whether it's uh, a Missouri S&T that focuses on manufacturing and engineering, or here, a more comprehensive university in which students can uh, not only enjoy their academic work, but be part of a program that's in the SEC. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things are, are, are elements that we're going to be including in our marketing materials beginning like last year because we know that cliff is coming. Mm-hmm. And for us, we have to develop the program plans to have more market share. And uh, we believe that we do offer high-quality, affordable yeah. education. You talk about fan experience in athletics. What, what are you doing to uh, affect student experience on campus? What That is changing. Uh, there's a, uh, I hate to use the words entitled, but anyway, it's really the needs <laughs> of students have really changed in recent years. Uh, they, what are you doing to, to change the student experience on campus? They have. I mean, they go with, I mean, it ranges from ensuring that the students have the most modern student rec center. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a big draw for students. Yeah. Uh, ensuring that our student uh, activities programs have sufficient support so that we can meet the needs of students with diverse interests from fencing to uh, the chess club. It also means that we have to have uh, better options when it comes to our dining facilities and uh, ensuring that our academic advisors and the care team and the counseling program really meets the needs of our students as they traverse through our uh, four-year journey. Mm-hmm. But just uh, to let you know, I do a lot of uh, asking of questions of students when I walk throughout the campus, and students love being part of this university. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some students will say, you know, my parents went here, they, they try to force me to come here, so I resisted, but 
I visited the campus, and I just fell in love, mm-hmm. and I made the right decision. I yeah. hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a, a pretty special place, and, and it's it's fun. As someone that graduated over, you know, almost 40 years ago, uh, it's fun to go walk around campus and just sort of the things that were there when I was a student are still there, but the experience has changed, you know, dramatically, and, and uh, but it's still fun to, to experience that. Dr. Choi, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come in and, and give us an update. Thank you. Always great to talk yeah. to you, Fred. Congratulations. On your success at the university, and uh, we we hope you stay around a lot longer. So uh, thank you for for your time. We are uh, going to be back next weekend with another edition of the CEO Roundtable. We will uh, uh, look forward to visiting with you all next weekend. This is Fred Perry signing off for the CEO Roundtable on ninety three nine The Eagle. This city is my city, and I love it. Yeah, I love.